Welcome to Put Back on SNY's digital platforms. I'm Ian Begley, SNY NBA insider, and we got two great guests with us to break it all down. We've got Jake Fisher, national NBA reporter for Yahoo Sports. We've got Jonathan Macri, the dean of Knicks Film School. Be sure to get your comments and questions in below because we want to answer your questions. But we're going to start things off with the baseline, as you know. A few days ago, Knicks making a big, big move, trading for OG Ananobi, sending out Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, and a valuable 2024 second round pick, which is coming from Detroit. Seismic move has a ton, ton of implications. So we're going to get into that right away. I want to know first, Jake, what do you think about how the Knicks and Raptors got to this deal sending OG to New York? You know, we were talking about this before we went live that OG Ananobi has been someone who's been on the Knicks radar for a long, long time. And there was reporting from yourself, Ian, from other reporters. I think Fred Katz at The Athletic said this as well, that, you know, this time last year and ahead of the February trade deadline, New York was willing to offer multiple, you know, three, maybe even four first round picks to get OG Ananobi services. But as Toronto continued to evaluate their roster with Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes and down the list, it seemed pretty clear from talking to other teams that had talked to Toronto, the Raptors weren't looking to take a rebuilding step back. They wanted young players who were starting caliber right now and in theory had upside. So if you can, if you combine RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly, plus that first, that first round type pick, like you're saying from Detroit, it was enough to get it done finally for Toronto. I do know, too, that at the deadline or prior to the deadline, that they had an offer that included quickly uh, and included, I think, more than one first. And obviously, Toronto just wasn't ready to move on then. And I think I know they started not started, but they told teams, particularly in Orlando at that G League showcase, that they were ready to make some moves. And I think it's multiple moves. So no one, no one on this show would be surprised if Pascal Siakam is next. But, John. For you, uh, what was your, well, I guess, what is your reaction now to the trade after we've seen two games and you've digested it a bit? Yeah, I mean, just in terms of the trade itself, uh, shocked at the timing. Obviously, we're still in December. You don't really see these sorts of trades this early. Um, but obviously not shocked that they went out and got this guy because as both of you have reported repeatedly over the last year, this is someone the Knicks coveted, uh, and I think we've seen why they've covered him over the last two games. I, I think, look, there are challenges inherent in building a team or trying to build around a team around Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, who are brilliant offensive basketball players, but defense is, is not their strength. To have, you know, a lot of people have referred to OG as this, but a Swiss Army knife that you could really deploy in so many ways and shores up everything around him on the defensive end, including, you know, moving DiVincenzo uh, off of, like, the, the primary assignment. Um, I think it kind of ties everything together, um, you know, it, it, and you could just tell, like, I, I give the Knicks front office enough credit to know or for them to have known they were going to struggle with now two of their initiators gone. So you figure they knew that still made the move. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. Maybe what else do they have in store? Right. And I think you look at OG, uh, he's going to be a free agent this summer. I don't think there's any way the Knicks make this deal without high confidence that they get a deal done in the summer with OG Ananobi. CAA ties are obvious. Leon Rose running CAA before he came to the Knicks. 
uh, three CAA agents on OG. I think it's Drew Morrison. I think it's Austin Brown and it's Sam Rose, Leon Rose's son. So you, like the deal is going to get done. I'll go this far. I'm going to give away free money. The first person to send a reply to me saying, OG and an OB, I can be a hundred dollars. If he does not resign in New York, if he signs in New York, you're going to have to give me anything. That's, I mean, it's, so it's going to happen, but then you look at right. What's left and what's next. And I, I know that they feel people over there feel that they have enough to get another significant deal done. And whether that deal is at the deadline or in the off season, I'm not entirely sure, but you know, I think they feel good about a future with OGN and OB, with Isaiah Hartenstein, and you know, and then seeing where things go beyond that. And I, I want to hear from you, Jake, though, about because I think you reported about him potentially taking less money. I'm, I'm curious about that because that would be obviously a big win for the Knicks. It would be a big win for the Knicks. You know, OG's situation has been top of mind around the league basically for two years now, dating back to when the Utah Jazz were getting ready to trade Rudy Gobert. I remember first hearing OG's name come up in that conversation when Toronto, this was before they ended up getting Jakob Pertl last February, you know, when Toronto called Utah about inquiring about Rudy Gobert, the Jazz told them we'd like OG back in that scenario. And I think the kind of floodgates open from there talking about, you know, he wanted a bigger role and ahead of his next contract, you know, performance dictates your payday. And a lot of guys get stuck with that three and D moniker. So, you know, he was with clutch sports then. And then OG went through and had meetings with pretty much every major agency this off season before he came to terms with and joined the CAA trio that you talked about, Ian. So he met with XL, he met with WME, go down the list and in all those meetings, he was telling teams, I would like a bigger role. I would like something like $40 million. However, if I could get to a primary market and New York was one of them, I do think that is something that I think there's optimism around the Knicks that maybe they will be able to get him for something closer to a Jeremy Grant type contract, which is a lot, you know, five years, 160, but that's a lot different than five years, 200 million that let's say, you know, a Detroit team right now that is so poor that the Knicks second round pick that they owe of Detroit can be looked at as a first rounder. I think a team like that might have had to really put a full five year, 200 type million dollar deal on the table to get someone of OG services. It's fascinating. I mean, the, the agency piece of it is fascinating. And uh, I do want to know, though, John, because the Knicks did trade away, I, I think their biggest trade chip uh, player wise. Yeah. And two very, very important parts of this franchise uh, for the last several years. So a little nostalgia here. Uh, looking back at R.J. Barrett's tenure in New York, John, how do you put a bow on it? You know, as will probably surprise very few people that are uh, watching right now, I, I wasn't the biggest RJ guy. And that's because I, I think like a lot of fans, got frustrated with the inconsistency. What is undeniable is that he was instrumental in uh, bringing, helping bring this franchise and this organization up from the depths of like, I mean, you guys would probably know better than me. Was, was there any franchise thought of worse than the Knicks when, uh, you know, during that kind of 2019-20 season coming off the summer that wasn't? Um, and RJ was a part of bringing them back. And, you know, I wrote a retrospective of him and Quickly's career, looking back at some of their biggest moments in New York um, for the Knicks Film School newsletter. 
it's amazing how many huge moments that RJ Barrett had in a Nick uniform. You know, you think about the dunk in game one against Atlanta in the playoffs. You think about the game winner against uh, the Celtics at the end of that game. You think about a, a dunk, fittingly enough, against the Toronto Raptors to send uh, a game into overtime when the Knicks were on a, a nice little stretch there. And and so many more. He had a tendency to come up big in, in the big moments. So for as much as I, I think the book on his uh, him as an NBA player uh, still hasn't been written. You know, I think the the further away we get from it, people will remen- remember his time, you know, pretty fondly in New York. Yeah, the one thing I would say is if we're talking about RJ and uh, and his Nick tenure, uh, to me, you got to include that Cleveland series because yeah. he started off really poorly. Uh, he was, I, I don't know if he was hearing a lot of noise. There was a ton of noise from the fan base, from the media about he shouldn't even be playing. And the way he bounced back, Game three and the rest of that series, he was so instrumental in them winning that series. Just spoke to me about his ability to block out noise and, and to focus on the day-to-day. And that's incredibly valuable uh, in New York. And I just want to add an addendum. John does respect everyone's feedback and opinions on R.J. Barrett. So keep them coming. He respects it all. Uh, Jake, we're going to talk about Emmanuel quickly. Um, another yeah. very Good draft pick, really great person, really great person in that Nick locker room, really respected as a very hard worker, kind of guy that, you know, I think if it was able to work out, the franchise would love to have for the entirety of his career. They obviously weren't close on dollars in that extension. They weren't close on structure of the deal. Uh, The Knicks feel like they made a very fair offer. Uh, Obviously, quickly side felt like it wasn't fair. So he's, he's betting on himself, which I respect. What do you see for him in terms of his market this summer? I know there's interest. He's at, he has fans in San Antonio, Orlando. Um, but how do you see it shaking out for him in Toronto when you look ahead to the offseason? Yeah, it's ironic being that his situation now is pretty identical to what Jalen Brunson was dealing with in Dallas before he came to New York, where I, I went to the Knicks practice facility sometime last spring i forget exactly what it was might have been late march early april because we we sat down to do kind of a six man of the year push and i remember him saying something to the effect of you know i like the six man role i'm I'm, I'm happy to you know thrive wherever the team wants but don't get twisted like i do want to be a starter one day and that just became clear it wasn't going to happen in new york with that money you talked about ian you know i was told the offer never exceeded you know a four-year deal at around 18 million dollars in average annual value where quickly side of things was preferring to have things closer to the 25 million dollar number that Jalen Brunson was able to get uh, from New York so he'll have that chance now to start like right away he's in the starting lineup in Toronto they they went out and got Dennis Schroeder this summer for the full mid-level and he moved to the bench I mean he's closing games there as will be interesting to see because I do think personally, quickly was able to play alongside Brunson, especially in closing lineups. We saw him, his ability on defense to guard multiple positions and kind of be like a quarterback calling out schemes and switches and stuff like that. But he'll have the opportunity regardless in Toronto to be the starter. And I think command that $25 million figure that he was looking for if he's able to do that and do that effectively. This is a sample size now for a Raptors team that, you know, maybe they will trade Pascal Siakam. Maybe they won't. Maybe this team, I think they've won two straight since the trade went down. You know, maybe they will kind of figure out these pieces and they can still extend Pascal and think about trading him in the summer. So 
that, that, that bigger context around the situation, I think, will play into what he can command from the, from the Raptors. But the Spurs and Magic that you mentioned, Ian, I've heard they've had interest in quickly as well. So those are two teams that I would consider, especially San Antonio, if, if they continue to have you know a lack of playmaking to feed Victor Wembanyama. I think generally people are looking for them to look at a point guard this summer, maybe even at the trade deadline here in February. So those are two options I would consider for him long term as well. Yeah, I think that uh, he, I, I totally respect that he bet on himself. I, again, I think both sides feel like they were being logical, but I, I, I know that on quickly side, they were not really concerned in the aftermath of this thing that there would be uh, a lack of interest in him uh, in this upcoming offseason. They felt like, you know, something is going to be there. Teams know what he can do, even if he was not playing a ton of minutes teams had a, a strong evaluation and understanding of who he is. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I, I wish Emmanuel quickly nothing but the best. Had a really uh, a lot of respect for him. Had a lot of great basketball talks with him. And uh, and so we'll see how it plays out. But we want you guys to know that we are now in podcast form. So be sure to download the Putback Podcast on anywhere you download your podcasts. Uh, you probably downloaded the Knicks Film School podcast already. You probably downloaded Jake's podcast already. If not, you should now download ours and, and give us a listen on there. But right now, we're going stargazing, boys. We are going to talk about what is next here with the Knicks. Stargazing regular feature on our program. And some people might say, well, you're just trying to you know, get people excited. My counter to that is Nick. Governor owner James Dolan was on the record saying that Leon Rose, he brought him here because Leon Rose can bring the best talent here. So obviously uh, they're in the market for bigger names. We're not making things up. And let's start with DeJounte Murray in Atlanta. Uh, we, we know that Nick decision makers, some, I don't want to say decision makers, some Nick voices uh, with influence see Murray as a really good fit alongside Jalen Brunson. I'm not sure. If that has changed after the Ananobi trade, I haven't checked in on it. I don't know that, but I, I would assume that at the very least, you're going to continue to check in with Atlanta and see where it is. Uh, Jake, DeJounte Murray, do you think Atlanta eventually moves him? you think it's by the deadline? How do you think things play out in Atlanta? I think a lot of things are in flux there. A lot of things are definitely in flux with the Hawks. There's, I, I got my next notebook article coming out tomorrow at Yahoo, so I don't want to say too much and spoil things for the employer, but I, I am expecting Atlanta to look at pretty much every option on the table that doesn't include Trey Young and Jalen Johnson. They're, they're rising forward. Who, If you watched their game against the Thunder last night, the dude looked like a young Blake Griffin. He was unbelievable behind the back you know, transition plays and, you know, dunking on people and throwing lobs. He's, he's a heck of a talent. So I think from Clint Capella to DeAndre Hunter to DeJounte Murray, all those guys are going to be for the taking to bring it back to the Knicks. You know, it's a curious fit for me. I know that there's going to be plenty of Knicks fans. I'm sure plenty of Knicks film school listeners. And uh, if you want to download our, our show, it's ball. Don't lie from the Yahoo sports podcast network. I think plenty of fans are going to be wanting to point out that lack of playmaking role, that lack of backup point guard. But I think the Knicks are going to give Deuce McBride some time. Malachi Flynn was a first-round pick. He's someone they can give a look at. And like with DeJounte, 
to me, it's just like a questionable, curious fit being that the role you would bring him in to be a, like a secondary supplement to Jalen Brunson is what he's doing with Trey Young in Atlanta right now. And it hasn't exactly worked out so successfully. So I know the contract is considered to be pretty good value with his extension that kicked in and as the cap is going up, all that. But I don't know. It, it doesn't really get my juices so flowing if, if I'm looking at it from a New York perspective. I, I'd be curious if Jonathan thinks differently. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy you brought up that contract because I remember when that was signed, I was taken a little bit aback because it seems like anybody who's even remotely in the all-star conversation, right? Like, let alone a guy who made an all-star team under the age of 25, like kind of almost averaged a triple-double with San Antonio. He was an all-defensive player when he was younger. The fact that he would accept that kind of raised an eyebrow for me a little bit. And I think what it ultimately gets to with DeJounte, and this is not exclusive to him, I think there's a lot of really, really good players in the league you could say this about. Um, well, if you're not good enough to be a team's every possession on-ball guy generating the <laughs> offense – and you're also not an ideal fit off the ball. And like, look, anybody could just go look up the numbers, the on-court numbers with him and Trey Young together, just the general numbers for Atlanta over the last two years since they got Murray. It has not worked. Um, you know, I know they had a nice win last night uh, against Oklahoma City, but it's been underwhelming. He's not shooting it great this year. He didn't shoot particularly great last year. Um, I, I just, I'm not sure the fit is there. I completely agree with what you said, Jake, especially when you look at, you know, Dante DiVincenzo is their starting two now. I think he's fifth, maybe sixth in the league in, in spot-up threes, and he's shooting them at a blistering pace, like 44% on the year, and that's after a tough start. Murray's outside the top 50 in total spot-up threes, and, or catch-and-shoot threes, excuse me. Um, and his percentage is just kind of ho-hum. So with all due respect to what we have very clearly seen in the first two games of that quickly, which is that their bench is lacking seriously in some playmaking, does that does that need move the needle enough where you're going to go out and get a Murray for whatever it's going to cost? And obviously you guys would know more, better than me about that, where, you know, might there be a smaller option or something that doesn't cost quite as much in terms of assets that would make a little bit more, more sense because I, I I'm like you, I, I'm, I don't love the, the fit with the starting five. Yeah. Fit questions. Interesting. Uh, we can debate about it. No one is questioning my guy, Matt Spenley's fit. With our show, he's the best. He's our social media guru, and he's got a fan question for us. Matt, what's up? Thanks, Ian. Always making me feel so welcome every time I pop on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It makes me feel special. Um, all right, Austin Ryback on YouTube is asking. It's early, but it's clear the Knicks now have a clear lack of shot creation off the bench. If you watched the game last night, I think that was clearly the glaring issue. Um, you know, Tibbs has been staggering. Brunson and Randall, which he has done very little throughout the season, but when you're watching and it's it's Deuce McBride, it's Josh Hart, it's um, you know they're clearly lacking there. So Austin's asking, who are the realistic deadline targets uh, that we can potentially look out for at the guard position while the deadline approaches, Ian? Yeah, I think the name that people throw out is is Malcolm Brogdon, and mm -hmm. I don't know like what the cost for a Brogdon would be. Uh, he believes is under contract for next season. So that's also a consideration. Um, Tibbs' favorite, Alec Burks. I, I know he's not having a great season. I don't know the interest level there, but I'm sure he could be gettable. Uh, William McDonovich is not necessarily bench help, but he's a player that uh, I think Detroit will be open to moving uh, because of where they are and where he is. And so uh, the Knicks have had interest in him in the past, but I don't think there's an obvious fit there. 
I think Killian Hayes is a guy who could be available. Um, so you look at those names and maybe uh, DeLon Wright and Washington. I think the Washington situation is interesting um, because they they obviously will, will be open for business. However, I, I do think in a big picture sense, I don't think the Knicks are going to give anything up that would put them in jeopardy of not being able to do a bigger move. Uh, I, I think that's part of the, the calculus here. I'd be surprised if they made, uh, let's say they traded for a bench guy, but they traded like uh, a first or a couple firsts and, you know, Quinn Grimes, something like that, where then you're really depleting yourself for a bigger trade. Uh, so I think that is part of what will happen here. I don't know particularly who they're interested in bench wise, but I don't think they're going to, they're going to put all their chips on the table here for that kind of player. I think, I think saving the powder is the most important point, Ian, because if you flash back to the Donovan Mitchell trade, that wasn't that everyone wants to, you know, still always relitigate. One of the consistent messages you and I both heard was that the Knicks felt the Utah Jazz's asking price and the price that Cleveland ultimately paid was too steep to the point where New York wouldn't be able to get someone who could be better than Donovan one day. And that's, to me, still the ultimate goal and the ultimate benchmark that I would expect New York to consider. And that if I was the one calling the shots in Madison Square Garden, I'd be thinking about too. Because as good as this team is, it doesn't really seem like the NBA title is truly attainable if you don't have a real top five player and the names of all the players you just said, they're not Giannis or Joel Embiid or, you know, that type of real impact, high ceiling guy that this front office is truly, truly coveting and hoping will become available after some type of playoff shortcoming or, you know, whatever, you know, moves behind the scenes that get these guys available. That's the ultimate pie in the sky where this team's eye is trained on future moves. I, I'm kind of expecting they're going to make more of a smaller move like you're saying than like really try to use Evan Fournier and Quentin Grimes and all this stuff to go out and get someone that might not really move their ceiling all that much further than where it is right now. One uh, name you mentioned Embiid, you mentioned Giannis and the Knicks have been linked to those two guys. I, I, they don't seem realistic at this point. I would also keep them linked to Carl Anthony Towns when you talk about, you know, that bigger name player, that bigger addition, I would keep that link. Uh, there until it's not possible to be there anymore because I think there will always be something there. Um, but let's go to Donovan, um, John. And when you look at potential Donovan's fit and OG's fit, do you see a big gap there? Do you feel like OG better fit given the rest? Or where are you on that one? I think the Donovan Mitchell question, and I want to start with a caveat that I don't know that there's I mean I shouldn't say this on this on the show since we're about to talk about it but like is there a reason to talk about it right now because we I think we all are in agreement that that's not a trade that's getting moved or happening if it ever does happen if Cleveland ever gets there before the deadline um that said I think it's the most interesting question that you could ask about the Knicks because is Donovan Mitchell a top five player no is he a top 10 player honestly if you really sit there and you go through the names I would say no um, is he one of the top 10 offensive basketball players in the league? I think there's probably an argument there. And I think what it ultimately comes down to... Is he better than Jalen Brunson? I, I mean, look, if you look at their playoff performances, the last time, two times they faced each other, I think there's, a, there's an interesting discussion to be had there. I, that said, what he is able to do um, off the dribble behind the arc, and I, I say this in full respect to the 
not a jump, a leap that Jalen Brunson has taken in terms of his pull-up shooting um, this year from three. Had a nice night la- last night from behind the arc. Mitchell is still a, a tier above there, and I think adding that sort of player who could obviously also penetrate and, and do all those sorts of things, there's value there. My two biggest questions, honestly, the, the one of them is obviously defense, and I think OG helps, and you know, you get back a healthy Mitch, maybe you, you could make it work, right? The bigger question for me is, you know, teams that win the championship, and if you go out and you trade for Donovan Mitchell, you're doing so not because you want to be a pretender. You want to win the, the whole damn thing, right? Have we seen a team do that without having th- its top three offensive players complement each other, make each other better? And I don't know in Cleveland, have we seen the whole be greater than the sum of the parts on the offensive end? Now, that, I'm not putting that all on Donovan, that – a little bit Garland, a little bit Mobley kind of has stagnated. But I, I do wonder about those three players who all like to have the ball in their hands. Um, you know, although I look at, at Brunson and Randall this season, I think they've done a really nice job playing off of each other. And I think Tibbs, dare I say, might be a little bit more creative than he gets credit for. And and he look, he's made this sort of situation kind of work before, you know, if you want to look at Minnesota, um, you know, when they had all their guys healthy that one year, I mean, they were kind of cooking. So, Look, I I would talk myself into it. I'll tell you that much. Um, but I, I, you know, it, I don't think it's the sort of thing where you could say, "Oh, absolutely not," or "Absolutely yes." I think it's a there's nuance to the conversation. Let's jump into the here and now because to me, this current Nick team is fascinating. You guys mentioned Deuce McBride earlier. Tom Thibodeau was saying last night after the Bulls game that he wants to give Deuce some time. He wants to give uh, this new bench configuration some time to gel. He's going to probably mix and match a lot with Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson with the second unit. And I think they're in kind of a uh, period of observation uh, with the second unit and they're going to give it a little bit of rope. Uh, Malachi Flynn, uh, ankle injury. Uh, Tibbs said he came to New York with the ankle ailment. He, uh, I, I think Tibbs said he's been on the court, so maybe he's getting closer to playing. That's a, another interesting element there. But this team, as currently constructed, you want, you look at the rest of the East, and I, I still see them at a tier below uh, Milwaukee and a tier below Boston. But if those, if those two teams are healthy, that's the big caveat. Uh, Jake, where do you see them, this Nick team, in the bigger hierarchy of things in the East? Yeah, if you want to think about it through that lens as well, you know, only when you get to the playoffs, when you do go up against Milwaukee and Boston, Jalen Brunson's playing 44 minutes a game. So I'm not sure how big of an issue the backup point guard spot really is going to be come that time of year. Like the McBride, the Malachi Flynn, you know, potential position battle here. Like that's about eating innings starting the regular season. When when it comes yeah. down to it, to go against a Milwaukee or a Boston, you're going to need Jalen Brunson hot from three like he was the other night. You're going to need Joyce Randall getting to the line and finishing. You're going to need Dante and Josh Hart and, and OG knocking down corner threes and all cutting off the ball. Like I, I think the Knicks have enough talent and enough grit to be able to take either of those teams to a difficult second-round series. I do think they are a step behind in terms of you know that top six of Boston is something else. Milwaukee – I think ultimately the Damon Giannis one-two punch is probably a little bit more than what New York has. But when you look deeper down in the rotation, you know, that seven, eight, nine, the fact that Tibbs 
has routinely gotten a gritty full out effort from this group since the moment he stepped foot on that sideline. I do think none of those teams are going to want to see New York in the playoffs. And I do think they're going to have a fighting shot, like emphasis on fighting because this team is going to fight. They're going to scratch and claw and bully and cut and dive on the floor. And they might end up giving one of those teams a real scare. I think it's possible. Matt Spenley, we're going to you. Fan question. What do you got? All right, guys. Nelson Benia is asking, what's the chances of losing Isaiah Hartenstein to free agency this summer? So Hart's going to be a free agent. Uh, I think a lot of Knicks fans would like to see him back. He stepped up enormously with Mitch uh, out. And, John, I want to ask you this, because when the Knicks got Hartenstein, I think the first thing that we heard was, oh, his passing from the pivot is fantastic, and that's going to be a huge skill that they can potentially utilize. But I think defensively, especially his growth this year, more so than any other, uh, has been you know tremendous. So your thoughts on him and then you know, kind of everybody on if you think they should bring him back, if that is even feasible given their cap situation. Yeah, I mean, um, it's funny you bring that up about the passing because finally, I mean, there's fans that have been begging for it for over a year. Tibbs got in front of the mic the other day and said, oh, yeah, I kind of like the idea of using Isaiah Hartenstein and in, in more of that sort of role. It's like, OK, it, it, took, it took us a while, but we got here. Um, and I think maybe you'll 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 see that more moving forward, especially now that no quickly, no Barrett um, defensively, man, he has no conscience. It doesn't matter who you are, how much of a head of steam you got coming through. And he is able to get his hand on, you know, uh, some of these dunk attempts in a with a regularity that is almost staggering. The biggest compliment I could give to Isaiah Arnstein is that the Knicks lost the guy who was on pace to make an all-defense team, in my opinion, in Mitchell Robinson. And I haven't – I know they were the, literally the worst defense in the league for the month of December. But you watch Hartenstein specifically – you don't feel the loss, and, and, and I don't want to go too strong on that because Mitch, what he's able to do and the way he's able to scare teams from even doing anything near the rim and, and trying pick and rolls around him goes unnoticed. So Hartenstein's not that, and I want to be very clear about that, but he's he's darn good. And then the only other thing I'll say, and then I'm, I'm curious what, what these guys have to add, is I wonder is there a team out there that is willing to go and dip into cap space for him or is his market around the league going to top out at the full uh, non-tax pyramid level? Because if the Knicks um, go and give him the full 40% raise, 140% of his previous contract, um, they can beat that full non-tax payer mid-level number. Um, so I, I wonder, you know, is is the market that going to be that robust? I mean, it's a center, so you never know how the, the position is going to um, is going to fare in free agency. But yeah, Ian, I'm curious what do you, you have to think about that. Yeah, I, I think one thing here is on quickly, I think one of the hesitancies with the idea of paying quickly um, what he is worth and what he probably will get this offseason, it was the idea that you want to be able to re-sign the guys that you have on your roster that you want to bring back. That's what I was told. And I, I can only assume that Isaiah Hartenstein is a big part of that plan. Because why would you let him walk? I mean, I'm glad Nelson asked about him. He has been fantastic since Mitchell Robinson went down. I think let's slow down on the uh, we don't need Mitchell Robinson anymore debate. I think that's a, that's a little premature for that. But Isaiah Hartenstein has been tremendous. He's earned himself a big raise. And I think that raise will come from the Knicks. I, I can't see him. I can't see them letting him go. Uh, but with that, 
we are going to go. So thank you so much to Jonathan Macri. Thank you so much to Jake Fisher. Be sure to check out Jake's work on Yahoo Sports and Jonathan's work, uh, Nick's Film School. We are going to be back Wednesday at noon, next edition of The Putback. Uh, we're really looking forward to that one. And be sure to check us out in podcast form wherever you download your podcast.